0: Tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Gary Gough and the Satanic Panic, Teens on the Tracks, an Update, Missing Time, and Help Us Find Rogers Kane. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal,
1: and I'm your other co-host, Robert, and this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. (sighs) Crystal?
0: Yes. Yes, Robbie?
1: uh, Never mind. Let's just go. Let's just go into the podcast.
0: You don't want to. Wait, don't you want to talk about the sweet, sweet double-breasted blazer that Robert Stack is wearing (laughs) in the beginning of this episode?
1: actually what i was more fascinated by um, was i noticed that he was there was one segment with him where there was a fountain in the background mhm now i don't i i don't recall too distinctly is that the same fountain where robert stack held the prop pink notebook from mm. scene from main segment.
0: I think, I think it might be, I think it might be that same fountain just shot from a different angle.
1: Oh man. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I really fixed on. But mm-hmm. if you want to talk about um, Robert stack fashion, I'm also game for that.
0: I just, I, his blazer <laughs> was like extra. In this, first, in this first, like, cutaway when he's introducing the episode. It was, like, extra. I was, like, he had some shiny... I might be remembering this one, but it had some, like, shiny gold buttons on it. And it was, like, a lot of fabric.
2: Holy it shit. It was a
0: lot of look. Anyway. He looked good, though. All right. So, <laughs> segment one is a wanted episode that I like to refer to as Gary Goff and the Satanic Panic. <laughs> Which is also the name of my um, glam glam punk band that I'm starting.
1: Awesome.
0: Yeah, so look out for that in 2018. All right. Uh, so a man named Charlie Sigmund uh, falls in love with a woman named Anne. And they make a big point to say he also fell in love with her two boys, but it's not weird. It's fine. It's okay that that happened. Uh, so Charlie and Anne buy a truck farm and (laughs) if anybody has any idea what that is please let us know Uh,
1: i i I did look that up
0: thank you can you tell us what a truck farm is
1: yeah i i I knew i knew that would be a uh a point of question just as friendship clubs were back in Mm. like so two or three
2: yeah
1: um Okay, I, I looked it up and I was kind of confused because it just seemed to be where the definition of a farm was uh, okay. at first. Because it's like you know, it's like a piece of land or, or farm or whatnot that that where they grow vegetables to sell in the market.
2: And I I read
1: that and I was like, isn't that like every farm? <laughs> um, but I think what they were. Uh, I did an additional like 10 seconds of research and correct me if I'm wrong listeners, but I guess it's more like this is a um, farmer. They're, they're servicing grocery stores in the immediate area. That's really all I can provide. Uh, Trust me if uh, that, that, I mean the definition for truck farm just seems to be indistinguishable from farm. So it's not a,
0: it's not a place where they grow trucks.
1: No, no, that would be so awesome. It, it would be like that uh, that old cartoon series, Jason the Wheeled Warriors, where like vehicles would grow out of plants. Um, I should probably stop talking about that and let you get back to You the can set.
0: T- you can talk about it all you want, but you have to provide evidence to me after we're done recording that this thing actually existed what you just <laughs> described not it isn't some sort of fever dream that you came up with
1: no no uh, it definitely isn't this is what well, the thing is is it was a cartoon that didn't show when i was a kid around the nevada area but when i would visit my sister in oregon uh it was on in syndication there um uh the the villain characters were these evil like vehicles that were they were like living plants that could turn into vehicles, and they had like vines that would grow, and like, ve- like tanks and trucks and stuff would grow off them like fruit. This, I, I re- this sounds I re- like
0: some kind of like low rent crossover between Transformers and Captain Planet.
1: Um, it, well, um, let me tell you that that show definitely did rip off um, quite a few things. I wouldn't necessarily have gone. Transformers and Captain Planet so much as um I mean there was definitely like some Star Wars thrown in there. Uh maybe yeah, I mean maybe Transformers or or maybe like a reverse turbo team. <laughs> Do I have to explain what Turbo Team is?
0: No, it's probably dirty. <laughs> <laughs> You, okay. you got to save the reverse team for like the fifth the fifth or the sixth date. You can't just you can't just go right into that. Uh anyway, I should probably get back to the segment. Um Okay, so the thing I forgot to mention was this takes place somewhere in Arkansas. Uh, so, so <laughs> the truck farm is going real great Anne and Charlie are um, slinging those slinging, slinging the veg and uh, there's some cut scenes to them drinking beers on a boat and everything seems great and Charlie was um, pretty attached to Anne's kids from from some kind of previous relationship she had uh, so th- this is all going on in the early 80s finally in the summer of 86 Charlie suspects Anne is with another man um, Anne would be gone in the middle of the night when Charlie would wake up. Uh, this happened a couple of times. And then one night, uh, Charlie went looking for Anne. And I guess they had something called a refrigerator shed. <laughs> uh,
1: well, it's a common, common feature of truck farms, I'm assuming. I would assume
0: <laughs> it, it is a standard feature of a truck farm as you have a refrigerator shed and so charlie f- sees some lights on uh under, you know behind the door of the refrigerator shed in the middle of the night and we get a pretty sweet reenactment i think there's a pentagram on the floor and is praying to some kind of poster of a goat or something mm-hmm. um there's she's speaking in a language that isn't english uh She's
1: burning pieces of paper, too, in the really big candle in the middle.
0: Yeah. So, you know, at some point, and we're we're getting this, like, secondhand because, well, I haven't gotten to that point yet. But we hear from Charlie's mother who says that Charlie said that Anne did not practice a Christian religion. So, clearly, this is where Unsolved Mysteries, not having asked. Being able to ask Charlie what he saw, they jump to pentagram in the middle of the floor, and just <laughs> they go right into satanic panic. I'd also like to mention at this point, this never comes up again at any point in the segment. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't it's feed a, into the story. It doesn't help the plot.
1: It's a very isolated incident for sure. Like yeah. <laughs> whereas whereas like a San Francisco cult and bullshit son of sam theories um you know the the satanic aspect was was centerpiece with this he very well could have just walked in on and being with another man and would have sa- served the exact same function um to you know c- c- create strife in their relationship right do you think, think he would actually have what do you think he he would have he would have preferred to walk into her banging another dude or worshipping the prince of darkness
0: Wh- which one would i prefer or
1: oh, well, well I, that that <laughs> think charlie would have preferred if he had had to have a choice
0: i think probably banging another dude would would have a a more clear-cut explanation but yeah. we don't we don't actually know what Charlie saw. All we know is what the mother said, which was she didn't <laughs> practice. her She could have been like an Orthodox Jew for all we know. So Unsolved right. Mysteries has taken a lot of liberty with that, that, uh, <laughs> what they think Charlie saw.
1: The reenactment was kind of effective, though, at least up to the point where like, when Charlie first gets up and he's look, looking around the house and he can't find her and he looks outside and the sh- the refrigerator shed is illuminated, yeah. it has this eerie eerie light quality to it. I, I, I it was kind of a uh, you know uh, it was probably the. The most unsettling part of the entire episode for me.
0: Mm, I agree. I agree. It was very spooky yeah. and probably not really what happened at all. So., <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, so then I guess it's, just a second detail of this at some point, Charlie finds or Charlie's mother finds some kind of doll <laughs> uh, that they're saying is part of Anne's religion, so some kind of witch doll. I don't know. So, i
1: well, you know, the doll they chose to be the um, the witchcraft doll mm-hmm. is unlike any witchcraft, voodoo, curse doll I've ever seen depicted in any sort of media.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, it, it basically just looks like a some sort of blank template sewing doll that you can then like add your own uh cl- you know sew clothes onto or something yeah,
0: add some sequins
1: yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it looks like it looks like something you get out of the dollar bin at the craft market <laughs> well <laughs> so that's, it's that's probably
0: purposes. where they got it they probably got it down at michael's crafts in the in the hmm. witch doll s- section and so we're led to believe that charlie thinks just by going over to gary goff's house he might be in some kind of Peril, other than just having an unpleasant conversation, I guess. Yeah. Um. By three twenty, uh, three twenty a.m. Anne has now um reported to the cops that Charlie had been shot at Gary's house. Um. The cops discovered that Char- Charlie had seven bullet wounds. One of them was uh, through the scrotum. <laughs>
1: uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, like uh, basically if. you... It, you know, I, I didn't write down where all the wounds were. I didn't
0: either. But, I just remember that one. But, I mean, basically,
1: one. you can just say everywhere. Yeah, it was like his hand and a his... Part of the body. he had a bullet put through. Yeah,
0: show us on the witch doll where Charlie was shot. <laughs> god, we're horrible. Uh, okay, anyway. Um, so so Gary had claimed uh, responsibility for the shooting of Charlie, but he basically said that Charlie had come at him, that Charlie was drunk and being abusive. And so it was self-defense. Um, Anne backed up the story. There was some detail about Charlie had started beating on Anne and then Gary, because of course he's a former cop, he has a handgun. He came to arrest Charlie and then, and then they got in some altercation and then Gary shot, charlie seven times um at this point they cut to a cop i didn't catch his name but he was apparently on the force or knew gary goff
1: like he really goes to bat on gary Go- goff's uh behalf totally. yeah
0: yeah i mean uh, well first of all there's an um, the cop they interviewed totally looks like dr phil with hair yeah <laughs> But, second of all, I think the the point that they're trying to make with this segment is that Anne is a witch and she destroys men's lives, and <laughs> Gary is innocent and all this, and so is Charlie. I think that's the angle that they're going
1: with interesting interpretation <laughs> uh
0: so Anne's friend then tells the cops that Anne had been had reasons for wanting Charlie dead um. So the cops then wired this friend to go talk to Anne and and pick up some uh, evidence. Um, So Anne had said on the recording that they got from the friend who was wearing a wire that Anne needed some time to take care of some affairs before she was going to leave town. Um, So that was enough for the cops to sort of, you know, Start preparing a warrant to arrest uh, Gary and Anne because it seems like they were about to flee, which should, presumably means they had, you know, ulterior motives that it hadn't have been self-defense. Yeah. Um. So why? While, while the authorities are starting to prepare a warrant for uh for both Anne and Gary, they flee town. Anne leaves her two sons behind. Um. And they they left before they could be arrested by the police. So, uh, the question here. Was it self-defense or murder on Gary and Anne's part? Uh, There's some talk because they found two guns at the scene. The cops found two guns at the scene that Anne may have also shot Charlie. Uh, And then that's what we have before we get the update.
1: Yeah, well, they they ran a powder residue on Anne's hand, but it was inconclusive. I guess if both of them had shot Charlie, that would probably indicate... Foul play. But, uh, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to jam you up there. I just...
0: No, I, I mean, they they decided to press charges, so eventually Gary got... The update that we get is eventually Gary Goff surrendered to the cops and got 20 years in prison and has since been released. Mm-hmm. Um, so if he surrendered in 1987, that means he probably went to jail in 88 and then was out by 2008, so... Yeah. Um, and then the real spooky part is that Anne was never located.
1: Ooh. So beware, men. Beware.
0: Yeah, witch- witchy Anne is out there.
1: <laughs> ooh, ooh, witchy Anne. Um, yeah, you know, I-, I think honestly, the the warning here is don't don't get married to a, a gal who already has kids. <clears throat> not 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 that they. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not saying that like there's a problem with someone who has kids um from a previous relationship or whatever. I don't have any hang-ups on that, but the thing is is if you begin to view the kid like love the kids as if they were your own, yes. You're you're in a bad situation because those kids can be taken away from you so so easily and you you don't have any legal rights to them. Um I, I just, you know, I kind of feel sorry for Charlie. Like,
0: oh, definitely, quick... yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He he would just he just wanted like a loving, you know, sort of stable relationship, and obviously he loved kids. What well, you know, the real shame is is like him and Gail from Maine mm. could have gotten together. Do you think? Do you think they would have worked as a couple? Or
0: I, I don't think so. I mean, the reenactment we get. So Charlie's just a really happy-go-lucky guy. Yeah. And Gail just kind of seemed like a pain in the ass. So <laughs> I don't know just, that that would have been an upgrade from Anne, honestly.
1: But she had kids, so he could bond with her kids. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah I, yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe Gail was better off with D.B. Cooper. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, I hope those crazy kids worked it out. sort of out of the uh, ordinary of things that happen on Unsolved Mysteries Um, and one thing that we haven't discussed yet on our show is that from time to time they'll follow up on a case uh, that they've already reported on by interviewing um, a detective or they'll do like a plea for help with the the police station or you know sheriff's office or the FBI or something like that Um, in this case and I am almost fast forwarded it because I was like, why are we covering this segment that yeah, was like four this episodes like, ago? ago?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, it feels like, didn't, didn't they do something else about this uh, story too? Because I feel like this is the third time we've gone back to tragedy on the tracks.
0: I, I think so. so. But this time we get a little bit more meat. So it's a little mini segment uh, where Robert Stack is in very close quarters in what looks like a police station. Um, with a uh, I, I want to say he's a detective but I'm he might just be a private investigator
1: I, I don't want to uh, pause you stop you uh-huh. for a second, but I just have to say uh, I don't know to you, you you say police station to me <laughs> I say like power station control room that's been made to seem like a police station
0: you know it could have been a mail, mailboxes etc
1: I mean, who yeah. even knows what this was, right? But that's that's just what something I had to to point in there because <laughs> that board, I don't know, that board that behind stack looks more like a mass transit layout or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and know, they, it very they, well they,
0: could be. It could have been the yeah. room that they uh, were able to cram in in a busy government building. That's where they could do their little filming. So, so Robert Stack and himself, and, and they usually don't have Stack interacting with, he just no. does the interstitials and the intro and outro of the show. They usually don't have him interacting with people who are involved in a, a segment. Um, so that was a little unusual. And I think he's interviewing, I want to say it's the county sheriff of.
1: Uh, deputy prosecuting attorney.
0: Thank you. Um... And I,
1: I, have, I have in my notes also that he had a mustache
0: excellent um so we're so we're talking to the deputy prosecuting attorney going back a couple episodes to the tragedy on the tracks it was the case of the two teen boys that had smoked the smoked marijuanas and then been found dead on the train tracks and then proceeded to be run over by a train um you know when we discussed the the segment we were very dubious as to what had actually happened um, and and so too is uh, Deputy Prosecuting Attorney. What's his face? Um, he seems to think uh, after the segment aired, there was a lot of calls that came into um, his office saying that alerting alerting him and the authorities to a major drug trafficking ring in the area, specifically selling speed, yeah. um, and it's possible what happened was the two boys, they went out to do spotlight hunting. That's what it was called, right? With their flashlight. Spotlight
1: huh? Spotlighting.
0: Spotlighting, yeah. They went out with their flashlight and a .22 uh, rifle and they wound up dead. So the, the running theory now is they probably saw something happening that they should not have seen. And whatever they witnessed was incriminating enough that whoever was out there doing whatever they were doing killed the two boys um the other running theory is that it was just a drifter and that was something they touched upon i think in the original segment Uh, right
1: because something similar had happened in another state oklahoma
0: and then um robert stack very pointedly asked this attorney do you think there was a police cover-up Uh, and when they first started investigating the case and so the attorney says of course i think there was a cover-up They basically told they basically (laughs) gaslighted the parents of these two boys saying oh you know they were just high on drugs and they laid down on the tracks and that was it so there's a lot of implications here that you know that maybe the Either through incompetence and laziness, there was a cover up because they just didn't want to do good police work, or because they are in the cut of whatever this drug ring is, and they didn't want people to ask any more questions.
1: Oh, damn! That's so.
0: There's there's some like it's we it's only like two and a half minutes I think where Stack is interviewing this attorney, but it, we, they get into some heavy shit. And personally, I would really like to see a resolution for this case because we we don't get an update in the traditional sense but we do get you know a call for help uh which is if anybody has any more information and would like to come forward here's the theory that they're going with so robbie what did you think about this
1: well uh, um i did notice that uh richard garrett i believe was his name Mm -hmm. uh I mean, because he, he, he relates that he's just having difficulty sleeping. The the case bothers him so yeah, much. Yeah, he
0: seemed very personally involved in, in trying to crack this, this case.
1: God, I mean, I guess when we originally watched the segment and the parents were going on about how, you know, they didn't feel like, um, you know, they, they felt like the case wasn't being taken seriously or something. I just chalked it up to just laziness or incompetence or, or whatnot but I guess this really adds um, a new dimension into it the suggestion that there's there's corruption in this uh, town that that goes right through the the entire law enforcement <clears throat> judicial apparatus jeez like maybe Richard Garrett is like the uh, the lone Jim Gordon honest cop and uh, otherwise rotten police force.
0: You know, I don't know, but I feel like this isn't going to be the last of this case that we hear about.
1: I'll just be, uh, tickled to death just that people are actually interacting with us on twitter (laughs) (laughs) by the way you should because we are still in that early phase where there are so few people actually interacting with us that i can purse i can make a personalized you know Feedback image for each person who goes on Twitter and le- le- leaves a, a feedback. Uh, leaves uh, leaves us gives us some sort of feedback. Ryan Baxley got a, a totally awesome underwear prison escape image I made. So please do. It could be you. Yeah. Well, do we want to move on to a cheerier topic?
0: Um. Yes, as you say, while the bullshit is still warm, I would like to move on to this.
1: Yes, um, what we got uh, with seg- this segment is basically just a protracted advertisement for Bob Hopkins' books, The Intruders and Missing Time. Oh, you noticed. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, after like the 30th or 40th close-up shot of the book's covers, I I was beginning to suspect have my suspicions. Um, it, it's actually interesting that the segment, this is this is our first, in any way, UFO-related segment so far. And I feel like it's kind of an experiment. Mm. That they didn't come out right away and say, UFO segment. This was a, quote-unquote, missing time segment that just sort of acted as a backdoor method to get UFOs involved. Which I'm not sure, you know, I don't know if at this point the show was still trying to kind of be serious and so forth. I mean, they've <laughs> already had a couple of ghost episodes, but I guess maybe they felt UFOs were a little too kooky. so they, they, they felt the need to sort of wrap that into a, a, a with a bit of camouflage. Um, I mean the the intro the intro stack narration, which takes place at some sort of observatory. Uh, yes,
0: he's on the roof of the Griffith Observatory.
1: Griffith Observatory. Yes, which
0: I, I will add, you can see uh, from my house. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, you can't see it very well; it's far away, but you can see the lights on the hill.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I, I. I was. I. I'm so glad that you moved to L.A. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I like. I like pretending that the move. Uh, move was based entirely on just doing scouting for this oh, stack. Oh, it was
0: absolutely <laughs> so. No real talk. I went to Union Station the weekend before we get stack. Uh, and I didn't plan this obviously, but the weekend before we get stack uh, at Union Station um so i i it it was like sunday to sunday and then i was at Griffith griffith observatory um not this last weekend but the weekend before last and then it showed up in this episode so it's like really fresh like i'm hitting all the spots i have to find the place with this fountain though but i'm sure in my travels i will come across it and i will know it when i see it
1: please please let us know i will um yeah (laughs) The, the opening stack, um, at the, the stack opening at the observatory, it begins with him saying something like, imagine for a moment you go to the corner store for a quick errand, you think you're gone for five minutes, but really three hours have passed. Uh, something s- vaguely similar happened to me actually just yesterday. Oh, what happened? Um, well, I went down to the corner store to get some milk for my cereal. And as I've told you, uh, well, prior to recording the episode a few days ago or last week or whenever, uh, my, my car is not starting for some reason. Mm. And so I I decided I'd walk, you know, get some Mm -hmm. exercise and based off the distance that the dollar general is from my house, I Mm -hmm. figure, "Mm okay, that's going to be like a three, three hour walk, Mm -hmm. you know, to and back. Uh, but it actually took four hours. And like, I get back at 3 p.m., like, what? This doesn't seem right. I, it feels like I've been, it feels like I just, I left so early. I'm coming back late. Then I realized that like the half hour or 45 five minutes I spent drinking chocolate milk on the front step in front of the Dollar General probably ate up most of that time um robert matthews on the other hand has no chocolate milk excuse no but he
0: did he was in front of a market so but
1: was yes yes a very did you catch the name of that market i listened to it like three or four times trying to figure out it was
0: weird it was like bellatrix or something i I don't. i didn't get the name but they they kept name dropping this market like five or six times which i thought was very strange
1: yeah, and it's it's in the um, village of New Truddle, Trudded, uh, which is a community of Cape Cod, um, Massachusetts. But yes, the but Robert Matthews incident takes place October first, nineteen sixty six. He's a Air Force, uh, for private first class, who is. <clears throat> Uh, has just arrived via bus, and he's dropped off in front of the market. And I guess the procedure for reporting on base <laughs> at this particular Air Force base is to be dropped off in front of the corner market
2: mm-hmm. and
1: use the payphone to make a call to the base that has to be picked up. Um, it's a very interesting scheme. And uh, so he, he goes ahead and he makes the call. And very shortly thereafter, he spot he spots lights in the sky, and they're of that triangular pattern that sometimes people who see UFOs report. Mm-hmm. So he goes back to the the payphone to call again to, I guess, really desperately ask for someone to come pick him up because I guess he's a little weirded out by the way these this this triangular set of lights is flying around over the sky. And he already gets. We get some indication that something's awry because the air force base is asking him if he's already been been there this whole time. From his perspective, no more than about four minutes have passed by. But really, from the perspective of the base, uh, basically a full hour has gone.
2: You ever experienced that period of missing time?
1: And so if they send a vehicle to pick him up. Uh, he's interrogated by Air Force personnel personnel who are in civilian clothes. Uh, and frankly, you know, if I was a member of any of the branches of the United States Armed Forces, if a superior officer was interrogating me in a Hawaiian shirt, I'm not <laughs> sure I would take that as seriously as if they were in their dress uniform. But... Um, And I kind of, I don't know about you, did you you get the feeling that them being in civilian clothes, that they were trying to imply that there was some sort of Air Force interest in potential UFO aspect of this? Or was this just the guys on the base got woke up and didn't change into uniform?
0: That's a good question. I don't think they're there yet with the implications of some kind of government collusion or cover-up i don't think they're making that argument yet
1: okay so this is just another laziness
0: yeah Uh, i think this was just an oversight yeah of of how to dress their extras
1: right well you know i we'll
0: dock them we'll dock them one reenactment point for this one
1: right okay damn um then this, this reenactment was already going to get a, a pretty low score for me. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, well, you know, for me, like, the fact that at least this was in Massachusetts, my, my initial worry, because I didn't catch where exactly it was happening at first. So when they dropped them off in front of the corner store, you know, Robert is um, from Philadelphia, PA, born and raised. Um and he's African American. And at first when I was watching the segment, I thought he was being dropped off in like somewhere like a small town in a more rural southern part of the country in mm-hmm. the mid sixties. And I was like, Man. Oh, uh, that would be Yeah, good good luck tomorrow. out there. Yeah. Um but anyway, so yeah, so He's interrogated by guys, one of whom's wearing a Hawaiian shirt, trying to figure out what the hell he was doing for an hour when.
2: You ever had the suspicion that you've been abducted by aliens?
1: Because they they sent a vehicle to go pick him up. The vehicle went to the corner store, didn't see him. The driver from you know his jeep yells his name a bunch of times and then leaves. So I don't. Know, I guess maybe they're trying to figure out whether he was boozing or whatever. Um. And this leads us to our first introduction to Bud Hopkins, um, whose qualifications, I should point out, is he's an artist who once saw an UFO with some friends, and subsequently that inspired him to become what Unsolved Mysteries refers to as a UFO expert. Um, he's written a couple of books, Missing Time and The Intruders, already mentioned. And he proceeds to give, you know, a bit of background information on mi- Missing Time, what it is. I'm sure most of our listeners are basically familiar. The thing he points out is that Missing Time doesn't necessarily it doesn't involve suddenly finding yourself somewhere else with this huge gap of unaccounted for time and you're trying to figure out what's happened it's for from the people who experience it it's supposed to be pretty seamless mm-hmm. like from from mr matthew's perspective he made the phone call he saw the lights he immediately ran back to the phone to make another phone call he didn't even realize anything you know anything was amiss until well after the fact when you had these third-party witnesses um can so-
0: i can i uh, interject here on our first first major point of contention i have with this (laughs) yes i would be willing to bet that most people who are listening to this podcast have some sort of experience with uh with a large chunk of time being or even a small chunk of time being missing from their day-to-day that they just can't recall or. It jumping from one, you know, jumping from being seven fifteen in the morning to suddenly it's seven thirty, and you don't know what happened in the last fifteen minutes, and now you are late for work. <laughs> I think I have about fifteen minutes of missing time on the toilet every morning. Like I don't know, I, time skips ahead. I can't account for uh, what I was doing or even what I was thinking. I have no memory of that time. Um, I think <laughs> if I. I didn't look this up, but my explanation for missing time is this. You can either be very tired and as we know when you're very tired your your cognition is not very good. So you can have sort of it could seem like time skipping around like um you won't your short term memory is definitively affected by being tired. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is your brain can only process so much input at one time. So sometimes it just, even if you're well-rested, if you have a lot of stimuli coming at you, you're not going to be able to process all of it. So you're going to remember some things and not others. Uh, You're not going to record all of that information that's coming at you. So I think having missing time, as it is explained by Bud Hopkins, is incredibly common. And I would say most people have experienced it just in their day-to-day of having some chunk of time they can't remember and they don't know what they were doing um, just from being too tired, or or just having too many things going on. So,
1: okay. Well, I mean, that sounds like a very valid criticism of Mr. Hopkins' bullshittery. Yeah. Uh, but I also kind of feel like maybe you're also creating a little insurance policy for yourself at work, uh, so that if you're ever like 15 minutes late, if, if you're if you're ever 15 minutes late for work, your boss having heard this podcast will know that like occasionally in the morning you experience like 15 minutes of time that just zones out and you you're suddenly you're late for work yes if Uh,
0: I I ever make the mistake of telling the people that I work with whatever it is I do outside of work (laughs) including make this podcast which they don't know exists um yeah I guess I would have uh, that would be a valid explanation or I would deserve whatever repercussions were coming my way so
1: yes um, so anyway, excuses for tardiness at work aside, um, Bud Hopkins ends up intruding on this story in another way where we caught catch up with Robert Matthews about 20 years later, he's on vacation and he's doing that horrible mistake that some people do when they're on vacation where they try to buy a book to read when they're already on vacation mm. and they just. They go into the you know, whatever nearby convenience store and there's a bunch of paperbacks on a rotating circular rack. Just bring a book with you, one that you know you're interested in, rather than play the Russian roulette of is there even gonna be anything remotely what I'm interested in on this rack?
0: Well, I think Robert Matthews may have hit. The oh, partner. yeah. No, no. He,
1: he hit the painter because he came across a copy of The Intruders, which features one of the stereotypical Roswell gray sort of depictions of an alien. And apparently in his youth as a small child, he, he has this memory of a being where um, Matthews has this uh, he, he has this memory from when he was eight years old of waking up. There was this bean that was green and glowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in This room, which is interesting, I, I don't really hear much mention of like Roswell Gray's glowing. Um, but I think
0: it was. I think it was radioactive, Mister Burns.
1: Radioactive, Mister Burns. Yeah. Nice, nice crystal. That 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 totally that totally redeems you for your earlier uh, mistake. Um, yeah, so he, he couldn't, and it kind of se- seems like this might be a sleep paralysis thing cause he mm. couldn't, move, couldn't mm. speak. Um, and I guess this is something that's haunted him for a long time until he saw the cover of the intruders and he realized, my God, that's what was in my room. So he, he picked it up. I guess he probably must have breezed through it that entire vacation. I mean, I, I never actually get a whole book read in a vacation. Uh, I'm lucky if I, I reach chapter two. Um, so we get subsequently, and I want to get your your opinion on this. Are we watching a actual hypnosis session between Hopkins and Matthews or a reenactment of their hypnosis session.
0: It's so convincing to me. Because they seem like folks that are hypnotized. That I think it's. actually I, th- I think it's the, it's either. The actual initial hypnosis section. Or six session. What did I just say?
1: Hypnosis S- section. <laughs> well, what? Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. Based off of the, what some of the obsessions. Of uh, Mr. Hopkins are.
2: Have you ever found a metal implant in your body? <laughs> if,
1: they, if these were sex sessions, I would not be surprised. <laughs> Have you checked everywhere?
0: Good creep. Because he
1: has a fixation on sexual reproduction oh, God. and genitalia. I,
0: I My word. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Bud Hopkins and his obsessive obsession. <laughs> secession, hypnosis sessions. So we have a little hypnosis session with a couple <laughs> of folks. Uh, um,
1: and yes. Uh, in which, uh, in this session... Se- God damn it, you got... Uh- <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: okay. So, when they're doing the hypnosis thing, uh, Matthews proceeds to recreate allegedly what happened during that hour he, that he lost in front of the store. The UFO comes and it starts hovering above the parking lot. It lowers down. Light comes out of it. A ramp appears. Matthews, for some goddamn reason, walks up the ramp into the UFO where there are, what, four beings that are seated. Uh, Apparently it looks like a very sterile, white, clinical doctor sort of situation. Matthews sits down. He has this memory of his shoes being off, as well as his shirt. And the aliens come; and they touch his chest, which is what happened when he was a little kid with the bean in in his bedroom. Um, yeah, Bob Bud Hopkins will, likes to talk about how these aliens—they'll take body samples, you know, a little bit of skin, saliva, but most importantly of all, reproductive fluids. Yeah,
0: they're uh, just they're just a bunch of jizz fiends, is what I'm taking yeah. away from the story. Gross, and, gross yeah. aliens,
1: gross. Well, Hopkins' uh, conjecture is that they they're having reproductive troubles or something, and so they're using uh, they, they're they're using our reproductive material to help them <laughs> uh, uh, solve this, I guess. Mm. But now, also Hopkins th- like. Around this time in the segment, doesn't he say something like hypnosis is, is a highly effective means of uh, retrieving lost memories?
0: Yes, he does. Oh, really?
1: Isn't that something that's been pretty much discredited now?
0: Um, not only that, what what we tend to use hypnosis for, if anything, these days, is it's a, a you become relaxed and and you're in a highly suggestive state so not only can you you are not recovering memories you can be manipulated into saying things that aren't true
1: which would probably explain why all these people and these hypnosis uh support groups that hopkins is putting together Uh are all having the exact same experience Uh uh-huh uh, all of it all of it involving uh the human reproductive si- system and genitalia uh, god he's really obsessed with it yeah um well i mean uh, to be
0: fair the aliens are really obsessed with it he's well, yeah, just telling us that
1: right they are. And, and you know it's funny like When I watched this segment the first time and the second time through, I kept thinking back to some stuff I've recently read or whatnot where I was reading this. But the number of reported like UFO sightings in the last 10 or 15 years has plummeted dramatically. Huh. At least like the very close encounter sort of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess this is attributed to the proliferation of cameras and video recording devices in everyone's phone. Because whereas maybe back in the 70s, you could say a UFO landed in my backyard or landed in the parking lot of the corner store, as Mr. Matthews saw. Mm -hmm. um, And, you know, people are like, Well, of course, all all we have is the eyewitness testimony. We can't expect them to have some sort of video recording device on them, but now we do. So people, like the the more outrageous stories along those lines, people just aren't telling anymore because it's increasingly implausible that you can get away with that story. And I kind of feel something else I was reading is they talk about how if you go back 50, 60 years ago, the descriptions of aliens uh, in these sort of encounters are, are supposed to have, like, varied wildly, right? All mm-hmm. sorts of different, you know, we not just the Roswell Greys. We got reptiles. We got insects. We got all sorts of stuff. And over the course of, like, half a century, they've just slowly, like, all been displaced. And it's all now just Roswell Greys.
0: Well, it's because of the the gray lobby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's probably just because of the X Files and and Bud Hopkins, honestly. They put the whammy
1: on. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, um, Bob, uh, Bud Hopkins. Like, people like one of the things is, but yeah, you know, actually, you're you're sort of spot on from what I'm reading. Is just media, like they pick up on certain things. They you know, the images of the Roswell grays get start to get proliferated through through media, and before you know it, like everyone who's being put under hypnosis and being suggested that they're seeing aliens, they they're they're seeing the aliens that they see on TV all the time. Yes. And, and so we got Bud Hop- and we got Bud Hopkins going around telling everyone exactly what sort of aliens they're <laughs> they're seeing and where on the doll they touched them. Um. So, yeah.
0: Um, I'd, I'd also like to discuss there's a psychologist that they bring in. Who, Susan Fox? Yeah, who's who's basically vouching for all these ordinary people that have had these extraordinary experiences, saying that they're very trustworthy and whatnot. Um, and then they bring up, she brings up some point about how a lot of the women who have had these experiences have inordin- inordinate experiences uh, Occurrences of things like cervical cancer, uh, ovarian cancer, um, ovarian cysts, um, twisted fallopian tubes. Um, and she's like, it's just, it's with all of these women that have had these experiences, they've had these issues. Yeah. The problem with that is all of those things are incredibly common. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, just the. I mean, between between the hypnosis se- sessions and then bringing in this psychologist, uh, and I'm putting that in quotes to basically just bring in the confirmation bias. Of saying that these people are special, that they have this thing in common, that the you know perhaps the reasons they're having these reproductive uh, cancers and other issues is because they've had these experiences, um, you know it's tying a bunch of things together that probably aren't correlated at all. So, you know, I they I think by bringing her in and not just having Bud Hopkins, the hypnotist support group guy, um, <laughs> it really legitimizes more of this just total bullshit that they're throwing out, so...
1: Right. Susan Fox, even va- in vouching for one of these people's character, uses the uh, term totally legit. Yeah. <laughs> so I found to be, you know, the, the most uh, undermining of her <laughs> uh, status as a psychologist. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Like, it, it validate everything that was going on. Um, and actually, for me... I have to admit, I was slightly distracted during the hypnosis support group because if you pay really close attention, one of the people in it really kind of looks like what John Waters would look like (laughs) if he played (laughs) Albert Einstein in a movie. (laughs) You should go back and (laughs) look (laughs) at the support group and tell me if I am not. I'll
0: take another look, but you know... uh let's make that film happen immediately
1: i'm game and i'm sure john waters is game he's game for everything i Uh, I
0: want an extreme campy version of coming up with the theory of relativity (laughs) (laughs) just make it flamboyant as hell that's what i want
1: precisely Uh. Uh, but and then we got a a supplementary uh, segment uh supplementary part to this segment and it's interesting this is I don't recall. Do you have you seen any of the segments so far where, like, halfway through, they actually had a commercial break, and then it comes back with Robert Stack? No,
0: again? I haven't. I re- and I noticed, and I made a note that that happened. Well, so, well, yeah, you
1: know, this was like a really long segment. I mm-hmm. think this is fifty percent of the episode. Yeah, um, it's,
0: and it's about to be seventy-five percent of our episode. <laughs>
1: wrap this up relatively quickly because all we got left is one of these missing time people is Christine Christina Florence mm-hmm. yeah um, who relates a story about when she was 17 years old her mother and her sister and herself were traveling th- through the Mojave Desert to get to San Francisco and their car breaks down breaks down near Barstow California I guess it just overheats mm-hmm so they make it to a park or a rest stop, uh, sort of s- spot, and you know, you know, pretty much it unfolds. How do you expect the mother goes off to get some R for the ca- from the car? Some strange, some strange light or something appears uh, outside the car. The kids get outside, they see it, they go back in the car. All of a sudden, next thing they know, they're laying on a blanket in the grass of the uh, park. No idea how they got there. Eventually, their mother returns and they drive like hell, quote unquote. Um, you know, uh, honestly, the thing that was more interesting for me than any of that was when the mother goes off to get water for the car. Did you catch that she explicitly instructs her children to lock the doors and roll up the window all the way?
0: Uh, I didn't notice that, but that's a good way to get some baked kids in your car and <laughs> bar yeah.
1: Um I, That that struck me as an extraordinarily dangerous thing to have your kids do. Well,
0: you know, it was the 80s. And that's true. Or that's the true. 70s, probably, in this case. And that's just its what you did. That's how you preserve your children. Yeah, you know, I have, no memory,
1: I have no memory of ever being in a car seat or a booster seat. No, me neither. Yeah.
0: <laughs> now, I know that I probably was when I was very young, but it was definitely in the front seat of the car because we didn't have airbags back then, so it wasn't an issue.
1: Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so hypnosis with Christina reveals that during that uh, incident, she ended up being taken into a UFO. She was on a table... It was a spherical room. Only this spherical room had dials literally on every space available. Uh, A floating screen that showed what they were examining on their body just sort of like would float around up and down her body. She was apparently wearing a rubber diaper too. (laughs) Uh, And this is an account that Susan Fox considers totally legit. Uh and this segment basically just ends. Probably for me, this is the perfect ending. Is when uh, Bud Hop- Hopkins he makes. I, I'm not. I hope you caught it. He makes some comment about how the the proper scientific community is on the sidelines uh, with this phenomenon, and that unfortunately it's leaving it up to people like him, which. In this case, I'm in total agreeance with Mr. Hopkins. (laughs) It is unfortunate that it's being left in the hands (laughs) like him. (laughs) Um,
0: I I totally agree, but I also think there isn't room in his mind that perhaps the legitimate scientific community did consider this. And then (laughs) they said, this is a big fat nothing burger. Right. And moved on. And have moved on. (laughs) <laughs> because to this day, as far as I know, there is no legitimate scientific study to um, missing time and being abducted. Now, uh, to to the point where I've been like really critical of uh, these people, I do want to say I think I believe them, and I think I think they they are not lying. I think they are being truthful, and and what they think happened to them. But I also know that they're, the, you know, the human mind is a very fragile thing and it can be toyed with and it can be messed with. And certainly if you've ever experienced some sort of really terrible trauma in your life, you know, you can kind of infill details and gloss over things and make things seem like they were something else. And so I think these people have experienced some kind of trauma and this solution was presented to them while they were in a highly suggestible state. Therefore, they believe that they've been abducted by aliens. So, I don't want to make them sound like incredulous or like they're lying for attention because I don't think that's what's happening at all. I think they've just sort of glommed onto an explanation that was being offered to them.
1: You're like the Scully of our. I am
0: absolutely the Scully. <laughs> but you're not. But you're kind of the Scully too. You're not like the molder. You're not. Yeah, like... yeah.
1: I yeah no i unlike fox motor i just don't believe something because i want it to be true yeah (laughs) Um, he was he he, he was he was a little you know he was not too discerning with uh like uh, god i mean whatever
0: he was also kind of a dick so
1: he was guys go back
0: and watch the x-files it's a good show but he's kind of a dick
1: So we'll move on real quickly to uh, the case of Rogers Kane, who uh, this is a missing segment. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a a man who he moved his family with them in 1958 from Mississippi to LA. So, you know, he's moving on up in life Um, works for the parks and rec in LA, but and you know by all accounts it's a very stable loving household but on february 19th 1986 he tells his family he's going to the hardware store and he just disappears <clears throat> now normally in these sorts of sorts of situations i'd be inclined to believe that this is just a guy who just has to get away from his family has to get away from his life and is just leaving but there is a lot of very peculiar things here that would not really be the behavior of someone engaged in this and gives us reason to believe that this is actually kind of a unfortunate uh, missing person sort of situation. Um, the day after he disappeared, he called his neighbor to tell them that he wasn't going into work. Which is kind of peculiar because I've never thought to like call a neighbor to tell them I'm not going to the work. Normally, that's you tell your workplace <laughs> that you're doing that, right? Yeah,
0: that is that is strange.
1: Then, uh, private security in a upscale neighborhood um, found apparently found him uh, in the neighborhood in a confused sort of state. Uh, they tried to help him. Placed a they, he gave them the number to his sister. Uh, they gave her a call, but by the time she was able to come out to try to pick him up, he had already disappeared. Um, his, then, subsequently, his car was found parked about 22 miles from their home, and it had all of his, you know, all of his most important life documents: uh, GI Bill, you know. Any sort of critical piece of information you you would want to have with you as a human being, as well as the phone number for one of his daughters that had been written over and over again. And to add to this mystery, the gas station right next to the car, apparently the day before, he had come in to have them do something on the car. I can't remember what. I just remember it cost $40. I don't
0: think they specified
1: yeah, and he pays it in cash and leaves, and the guy working at the gas station noticed that he uh, he was walking in a sort of strange way, you know, as someone who was maybe not completely in control of their motor functions. Mm-hmm. So Doug Haskin, with, uh, who's a detective with the LAPD, his speculation was that maybe... Uh, Rogers Kane suffered some sort of stroke that you know inhibited his ability to really have a grasp on you know what was going on around him. The pieces of information that they have include a telephone credit card that when they tracked what numbers he called using it, it was all like numbers that were found in Help Wanted ads. So Haskins' uh, speculation is that Kane was in his state of confusion, you know, he couldn't figure out how to get home, but he he was cognizant enough to know that he needed money. So he was trying to find employment to get money, I guess. Um, and so Haskins speculated maybe eventually police or some authorities somewhere picked him up, took him to a hospital, and he's maybe somewhere being taken care of, just unable to even communicate who he is to anyone.
0: I, I think that's the most likely scenario.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is actually kind of... This is probably the scariest segment from for this entire episode because, you know, the idea that you could suffer some sort of medical thing and just not be able to find your way back home at the very least. Uh, And, and I have to say like the actor who's portraying Rogers Kane really to me, I think he does a good job of selling someone who's suffered something. So he's not completely up a hundred percent, but you know, but but who is still able to like walk around and speak to people in a way, um, and so this this is a you know it, it's a heartbreaking segment too because there's there's this whole family that that is like desperately missing them, um, and we get an update. Uh, did you want to say anything before I go to the update or?
0: No, no, I don't have any cool jokes to make about this. It's just kind of sad.
1: Yeah, actually, well, I, 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 yeah, same here. I didn't really feel like making too many jokes about this. this. This was kind of a bummer. But we got an update, and it turns out that uh, Rogers Kane may have ended up in Topeka, Kansas. Um, and this is a very strange story as to what happened. Apparently, he got picked up by a truck driver Mm
2: -hmm.
1: who like he couldn't communicate who he was so the truck driver gave him a name (laughs) he called him elmer and he and the truck driver gave him his last name of jackson (laughs) this 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 is like like
0: really heartwarming though a little bit
1: it it is kind of heartwarming i mean clearly this truck driver i mean this is not like a bad guy no he's 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 legitimately concerned about this person um, and, but it's also kind of, you know, weird too. Like, I, 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 hope this, you know, like, it's kind of like, well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll give you a name and then you can have my name as well. Uh, it, it, it's almost like this truck driver is, I don't know, some sort of like sees himself as some sort of arth Arthur, Arthur era king or, or someone, you know, he, he's sort of knighting Elmer, bestowing <laughs> on him a, a feudal title. Uh, I don't, I don't know. That's just something that came to me uh, par- But apparently Elmer Jackson ended up in Topeka and he managed to find odd jobs like brick lane and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really Really interesting. Like, I mean, you can't tell people who he is, but he can still perform functions like, you know, that that sort of labor. Unfortunately for the Kane family, he disappeared before they were able to to get out to Topeka to find him. Um, They distributed flyers uh, around where he had been. Uh, But as of the final update on the program and i think that what we had was two updates we got the you know an update from in whenever they re-aired it uh back in the 90s and that or in the 80s or 90s and then we get like another last you know most recent update which was just an image of him and it reveals that he has still not been found
0: well i would imagine at the at this point in 2017, he's probably passed away because he was an older gentleman in the 1980s, you know, and that was 30 years ago. So
1: so he's probably just like a John Doe yeah. buried somewhere in a cemetery. That's, that's really unfortunate. Um,
0: well, I mean, there's being a John Doe because nobody bothered to look for you. And then there's being a John Doe, but people were very desperately looking for you.
1: Right,
0: and, right um yeah is... there's a there's a lot of layers to this and it it is very terrifying to think it, you go from being a high functioning adult with a job driving around in your car to then not knowing who you are
1: Did, didn't he have his wall with him when he went to the gar the the uh not garage sale um hardware store
2: mm-hmm. god
1: that's a totally different thing um I guess not. Maybe just maybe he just walked out with like a, a you know, like a ten dollar bill in his bo- pocket or something. Damn. Yeah, you know, this, yeah, it was this this was more un- this was more unsettling than the segment that came before. Because <laughs> certainly. I mean, yeah. And, like, and, and I mean, like you said, the people in the segment before are experiencing something. But unfortunately, you know, uh, because of people like Bud Hopkins, it's getting buried underneath this giant pile of shit. Um, This is just this is something that could really could happen to to a person. And it's, I don't know. I'd like to think that like the way you know the way technology has spread today, that maybe you know if this happens today, it might be a little bit easier to find someone. Because I don't know about you, but. Um, you know, there's little Facebook communities for my local area mm-hmm. and shit, you know, uh, people are like always finding dogs and posting pictures of them on, on the Facebook thing. I can't help but wonder if, you know, if someone found someone's father or grandfather, <laughs> they would be posting that as well.
0: Like, Is this your dad? <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder... My dad's pretty old. He's He's got... He's he, in his 90s.
0: Oh my goodness. Uh,
1: maybe late 80s, early 90s. Um, you know, I, I'd like to think there's enough people in his hometown of Pittsburgh, uh, Kansas. Go Gorillas! Uh, who would uh, know him. And so if something happened... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but yeah. Uh, definitely, this was the the mo- one of the more interesting segments. This had, you know, it, this was only like six minutes long too, mm-hmm. which was also which was good. But also like for the reenacting bang for the buck, I think we got the most for this because every depiction. E- uh, of of Rogers Kane, every part of the reenactment, to me uh, was was really interesting,
0: yeah, and also, if you're a fan, um we're on Twitter. We're at pod. you can send us an email at reenactedpod at gmail dot com. Um,
1: Please leave reviews for us on iTunes, Google be, Play, or yes. whatever we use to. Um, tell all of your friends, force them to listen. (laughs) Because our
0: friends don't. So please tell your friends.
1: (laughs) Our friends, the one is particularly the ones who were bugging us about when we were going to get this podcast going. (laughs) And are apparently the ones not listening on a consistent basis. Yeah,
0: or at all. So thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but God but,
1: bless Nicole. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, at, when this episode drops, she'll she'll do the hashtag Me Gail meme. Yeah. Again.
0: Thank you, Nicole. Thank you also to our other fan, uh, your your friend. I don't remember. Stephanie. Her
1: name. Who, Stephanie. Yes. Who totally loved our Halloween mini episode, and apparently was one of the few people who did because that sucker is not getting as many listens as some. <laughs> <laughs> really it's, it's the don't hidden it. it's
0: the hidden gold of this entire podcast was that episode i think yes uh all right well robbie unless you got something else
1: no i don't so remember for every mystery there is somewhere oh shit there's no no for every mystery there is someone somewhere who knows the truth Perhaps that someone is watching, perhaps it's you.